Hello, Happy New Year. Welcome to the Will Preach for Food podcast. My name is Doug, pastor here at Faith Lutheran Church. We are based out of Shelton, Washington. We are a beloved, affirming congregation of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America, growing closer to and more like Jesus, making Christ known for the sake of the world. You can learn more about faith at our website, www.faithshelton.org. I want to thank you for listening today. This Sunday, this Sunday, the church calendar recalls the baptism of our Lord. Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist in the Jordan River. And in the waters of baptism, Jesus is filled with the Spirit and affirmed by the Father. Baptism links Jesus to his heritage. His baptism marks the beginning of his earthly ministry. His baptism is framed by grief, disappointment, and temptation. Today's story from Luke chapter 3 sets the stage for the rest of Jesus' ministry, his teaching, his death, his resurrection. The story, this story brought hope to an early church community that itself was racked by grief, loss, and uncertainty. And I believe that today's word can help us see more clearly who Jesus is for us and who we are and who we're called and created to be. So we're going to start with a reading from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 3, beginning at verse 15. I'll make a few comments about the passage and why it might have been important to Luke's first readers, and finally, why it might matter to us today. I'll share a very personal and pivotal story about Brenda and me early on in our ministry. And then I'm going to leave you all with at least one very important job to do in response to God's Word. So let's start with Luke chapter 3, beginning at verse 15. John the Baptist is at the Jordan River, and he's preaching a a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. He's made a name for himself, and people are recognizing uh, that something very powerful is going on out in the wilderness. So the crowds are coming to see and to listen to John. Luke chapter 3, verse 15 says, the people were waiting expectantly, and all were wondering in their hearts if John might possibly be the Messiah. And John answered them all, I baptize you with water, but one who is more powerful than I will come, the straps of whose sandals I am not worthy to untie. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. It says, with many other words, John exhorted the people and proclaimed the good news to them. But then we're given a piece of the story that changes everything. Turns out John's ministry is to be short-lived. Luke tells us in verse 19 that when John rebuked Herod the Tetrarch because of Herod's marriage to Herodias, his brother's wife, and all the other evil things he had done, Herod added this to them all. He locked up John in prison. Luke tells us this even before he tells us about Jesus' baptism. And I think it sets the stage that understands that Jesus enters into this ministry, enters into this baptism already with the world turned upside down. Do you suppose that Herod had already dispatched his troops in the wilderness to arrest John, where, where, the, where the troops, where the soldiers, like, coming over the, over the rise, coming toward the Jordan River, as John is there with this last group of people to be baptized, and Jesus is part of that group. And John looks up and knows what's going to happen as he pours the water on Jesus' 
head. Is Jesus aware that he may never see his cousin again? So in verse 21, when all the people were baptized, it says Jesus was baptized too. And he was praying and heaven opened and the spirit descended on him bodily like a dove. And a voice came from heaven, you're my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. This is the gospel of the Lord. Baptism. Baptism, it's the great bath of the Christian church, a sacrament, a sign of the covenant, a signal of fidelity to God, an act of obedience and faith, an outpouring of the Holy Spirit. So much could be said and is said about baptism, about the baptism of Jesus. But today, for the gospel writer Luke, seems like the Holy Spirit prompted him to, to lift up five things. In holy, in holy baptism, Jesus receives the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, receives the affirmation of the Father, receives his heritage, receives wilderness training, and receives marching orders. Let me just go through those five real quick. When Jesus was baptized, the first thing it says is that the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. Jesus receives the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of God, which the prophet Isaiah describes as the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and fear of the Lord, the spirit of joy in God's presence. You know, the Bible testimony is wonderfully inconsistent. Sometimes the Holy Spirit shows up first and compels a person to be baptized, and sometimes a person is baptized and then the Holy Spirit shows up. What we do know is that the Holy Spirit and, and baptism are, are tied together. And it's the Holy Spirit who finally leads and empowers Jesus throughout his ministry, from the temptation in the wilderness, even to his death on the cross, even to his resurrection on the third day. Jesus also receives the affirmation of the Father. You are my Son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. These words echo Isaiah chapter 43 when God comforts and assures the people that I have called you by name and you are mine. <laughs> you know, things haven't changed much. The blessing and encouragement of your dad means everything, doesn't it? The importance of telling your kids that you love them and that you're proud of them makes all the difference. Our daughter Hannah had a tennis coach named Ed. He'd give us clear instruction as parents attending a tennis match. The only thing you're allowed to say, he'd tell us, is, Hannah, you look good out there. I'm proud of you. That's it. <laughs> he told us that there was absolutely nothing else worth saying during the match. And I think he was right. Jesus also receives his heritage. Luke spends 15 verses naming 57 generations that came before Jesus. At age 30, Jesus is now claiming his place, his calling in the family business. Not as a carpenter, but as a king. Verse 23, it says, Now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was a son, so it was thought, of Joseph, son of Heli, son of Mathat, son of Levi, son of Melchi, son of Jani, son of Joseph, son of Mattathias, son of Amos. I won't read all 57 names. The fact is, of those 57 names, most of them are folks we've never heard of, the likes of Heli and Hezron, 
Nagai and Jodah. But there are other names that we do recognize. And Luke wants us to make sure that we connect the dots to understand that Jesus is royalty. That's what it means by being the true son of David. Jesus is Jewish because he's a true son of Abraham. Jesus is human because he's a true son of Adam. If you ever read the Chronicles of Narnia, C.S. Lewis identifies the children as the sons of Adam and the daughters of Eve. Jesus is truly human and Jesus is truly divine, the true son of God, the firstborn of all creation. That's what this genealogy affirms. So having received the Holy Spirit, the affirmation of the Father, having been identified as part of a longer heritage, then Jesus receives a six-week intensive leadership training course. It says that, uh, Scripture says that Jesus is led by the Spirit into the wilderness for 40 days to be tested and tempted. Jesus has to figure some stuff out, right? He's got to figure out how to measure success. He's got to decide if the ends ever justify the means. He's got to get real clear about whose mission this is. He's got to face his demons and the skeletons in his closet. So when he finally emerges from the wilderness a couple months later, now he receives his marching order. Now it's time to get started. But that'll be a sermon for another day. The mission Jesus will embark upon, though, is nothing less than the salvation of the world, the forgiveness of sins, the reconciling of all creation to God. The Bible is, as one theologian describes it, a brief history of God's unfolding promise to mend the entire universe. Jesus is the redemption of Jerusalem and the consolation of Israel, the true shepherd who came to seek and to save each and every lost sheep and carry them home, the prince of peace who will establish an everlasting kingdom marked by justice and mercy and that peace that passes understanding. Jesus is the mediator between Gentile and Jew, between divine and human, true God, son of the Father from eternity, and truly human, born of the Virgin Mary. It can't be understated how significant this message was for its earliest audience. The Gospel of Luke is written down, most folks figure, around 80 A.D. So that's like half a century after Christ's death and resurrection. That's a long time for th to wait for things to get better. You know, things were supposed to get better. But in fact, things were getting worse. Hundreds, thousands of Jews and Christians were being crucified every year. Even the temple in Jerusalem, that had been burned to the ground by the Romans a decade earlier. So those reading the Gospel of Luke can only remember or imagine the temple of God, the, way, the good old days, the way it used to be in Jerusalem. And they're watching as their cousins and husbands and wives and sons and daughters and mothers and fathers were being arrested for their beliefs or for actions that the government judged wrong or unpatriotic. They watched family members be crucified. They saw their church on the edge of extinction, irrelevance, or both. And so the Gospel of Luke is written to encourage a church community that feels like it's all falling apart. The baptism and ministry of Jesus is given to us as a template for Christian ministry in the first century as well as in the 21st century. 
even as we're inspired by the example and sacrifice of Christ Jesus for us and for our salvation, we also can claim it for ourselves, just as they did in the first century church, that they and we can recall the gift and meaning of baptism by which we have each received the indwelling of the Holy Spirit and the affirmation of the Father. Then and now we recall that ministry was and is framed and shaped, yes, by grief and loss, even by wilderness and testing. But we're also reminded that we're not alone, that we're part of something bigger, what the writer of Hebrews calls the great cloud of witnesses. Therefore, Hebrews 12 says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. Brenda and I, Brenda and I experience this transformative power of the great cloud of witnesses and the power of the Holy Spirit early on in our marriage and ministry together. We were serving as associate pastors at Our Redeemer's Lutheran Church in Helena, Montana. Fresh out of seminary, two years later, Brenda had given birth to our son, Ben. Shortly after, due to health reasons, the senior pastor retired, so we were looking for a new pastor. And during this time, Brenda was once again found to be with child, as it were. But this pregnancy came with complications. And Brenda, diagnosed with something called placenta previa, was assigned to complete bed rest with the due date still two months away. Premature labor would cause Brenda to bleed to death in a matter of minutes were it to occur. So now our Redeemers was missing two of its three pastors, and I was the only pastor left in a congregation of over a thousand members. And my wife was homebound facing a life-threatening condition with an 18-month toddler in tow. But there was, by the grace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit, a great cloud of witnesses at our Redeemers. Now, let me say that more accurately. Our Redeemers was a great cloud of witnesses, full of people loving and compassionate and faithful. When word got out that Brenda was bedbound, the congregation organized itself to arrange and deliver meals to our home three or four nights a week. Young moms and kind grandmothers took turns sitting with Brenda and caring for Ben while I went to work for weeks. Someone even lent me one of those newfangled portable car phones in case of emergency. This was 1996 after all. Finally, with prayer and great doctors, Hannah was born on Election Day 1996. Still, the love and meals and support continued. More visits, more meals, more cards and well wishes while Hannah came home from the hospital and Brenda recovered from the C-section and bed rest. We were given an entire full turkey dinner for Thanksgiving. And when the new pastor arrived in December, the gifts and well wishes and care continued through Christmas and Brenda's birthday in January and even to Ben's second birthday, February 19, 1997. For six months, for six months, our congregation had carried us on their shoulders in the love of God. All that time, we were supposed to be taking care of our flock, but during those six months, we were the flock and they were the shepherds. 
Something else happened that fall and winter. All those new programs and ministry ideas that the congregation had wanted to do. The congregation figured out that they couldn't and didn't need to wait for pastors to do it for them. So leaders emerged. And they, on their own, re-energized and reorganized the confirmation program. They added a third Sunday morning worship service and a second Sunday school. It was a transformative time in the congregation and in our pastoral ministry. But more than anything, it was a miracle that made all the difference to a young ministry couple living a thousand miles away from their families. Brenda and I learned firsthand about the power of the Holy Spirit, the power of the communion of saints, the cloud of witnesses. We learned then and believe to this day that if everyone could receive the kind of love and support we received during that time, it would change the world. The promise of baptism and the prompting of the Holy Spirit is an amazing gift. Calling is often crouched in grief and uncertainty and struggle. That was the case for Jesus and for the early church. It was true for a young couple of pastors in Montana a quarter of a century ago. And it's true for our own new youth director and his wife. Even as Mike has been gifted and called, led by the Spirit to come across the country to serve on the staff here at Faith, he is also called to come alongside his wife, Beth, as she deals with some significant health issues. So here's the deal, folks. It's time once again to mobilize the communion of saints, the cloud of witnesses that is Faith Lutheran Church. Time for the sheep to take on the role of the shepherd, to surround and support and nurture and tend and pray for and love on these two like only the Holy Spirit knows how. Don't wait for someone else to do it. Don't wait for the pastors to ask or organize. Show your love the way you know how, the way the Holy Spirit has equipped you. Meals, companioning, friendship, prayer, cards, housewarming, well wishes, and hugs. It meant everything to Brenda and me a quarter of a century ago. It will mean everything to Mike and Beth. It will transform this congregation. And it will change the world. I know because I've seen it. So thanks for listening, folks. Go to our website, www.faithshelton.org, to find out more resources for growing closer to and more like Jesus, to answer the call to be a part of the faithful cloud of witnesses. Sign up for weekly emails, like us on Facebook, make a donation to Faith, subscribe to this podcast. Thank you, Chaz, for your podcast production every week. And I leave you once again with this blessing and prayer from Hebrews. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the pioneer and perfecter of faith. All glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, world without end. Amen.